Welcome to Wise Health for Women Radio with Linda Prater. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Each week with intriguing guests and topics, we'll bring you fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging a shift to new, healthier perspectives. Wise Health for Women Radio, helping women thrive. And now here's your host, Linda Prater. I'm Linda Crater, and I am so glad that you have decided to join us today. You're listening to Wise Health for Women Radio, and we have a wonderful discussion today with a fine guest, and we're going to be talking about careers and points and phases in our careers, and where do we go when circumstances change, as I think we can all acknowledge the last two, three years have been a time of great uncertainty, and what do we do and how do we respond when there are roadblocks or are they stepping stones and how specific circumstances can really change the path that we thought we would be on. So we're going to be talking today uh, with uh, Michelle DiStefano and we're going to be talking about consulting, changes, coaching, how you can find pathways to go where you may want to go later on in your career, or if you're just starting out, deciding which branch of the road to take, the old road less traveled, or the one that you have to take to get your your credentials settled. So, you know, Michelle, I am so excited to be talking with you today. We know each other from another group of entrepreneurial women, and I treasure those meetings so much. So we we know a lot about each other, but I think this topic will resonate with a lot of our listeners. So welcome to Wise Health for Women. Thank you, Linda. I'm very excited to be here. Well, I think we have a lot to talk about because careers take a path and a mind of their own. And we start out thinking we know exactly where we want to go. And we achieve that. Check. Check the box. And then you keep going. And then... At some point in time, you may find that something else interests you, a new passion takes hold, or you just find a reduction in force or something comes along that causes you to change. Would you say that women respond better when they have strong confidence levels? Um, yes, I would, Linda. Um, okay. the, the, whole, the whole ability to have to, what, whatever's happening to you in your life, it's always about exuding that confidence um, and really trying to stay positive focused regardless of the challenges you're faced. Now, part of this is how people respond to stress. And I think we can acknowledge that there's been quite a bit of stress and uncertainty. And so as you're responding, and, and you particularly are in the healthcare field, and I think that is an industry that has been put under immense stress. And so as we talk today, we're going to use the healthcare industry as our example and how we respond to stress and, and our self-beliefs. Do we limit ourselves? Are the stresses perceived or are they real? How do we deal with anxiety and things? So as, as we go along, let's go back to your story. Let's take a step back and tell us your background and what you loved and what caused you to start thinking in new directions. Sure. Um, well, my background, um, I came up the um, full ranks of um, nursing leadership, and I um, 
I graduated with um, a bachelor's degree and then went on to a master's degree in public administration, health administration. Mm-hmm. And I was on a trajectory of um, continuous um, promotions and um, excelling in my leadership, first as you know, a staff nurse with being um, a very good clinician with a lot of training and, and learning on my own and getting certified in critical care. And then I moved on to a clinical head nurse, which is actually runs the clinical operations on a shift to then a nurse unit leader, all the way up to a vice president and then to chief nursing officer. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a lot of great mentors in um, in my promotions and those that really valued me. Um, I had some, some issues with sometimes my bosses might have been intimidated because my ultimate goal was to become a chief nursing officer. Um, but I did go through the ranks and I feel that I was extremely successful with really um, being a nurse's nurse, um, having um, nurses be able to feel comfortable talking to me with whatever position I was in in the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. But also um, the, um, the, the need for me to really want to lead a total nur- full nursing department to excellence. So I led the Magnet Journey, which is the highest award that any nursing department can get for one big teaching hospital. And there I really learned what um, quality and what patient experience and also what employee engagement meant. So I was uh-huh. able to talk that. And, that and really it sounds like, like that that was very much recognized. Yes. And that that prepared me to then step into a chief nursing officer position, um, which was my which was my next um, ultimate um, goal that I was trying to achieve. Well, congratulations on all of that. As you came through the ranks, were you noticing that you were surrounded by others who wanted excellence or were there people that had different goals in mind and were happy being the worker bees? Did you find that you gravitated toward those in leadership positions or those in middle management? How did you set about gathering the people that you would surround yourself with? Because that's important. Sure. Well, in, in healthcare and particularly with nursing and the nursing hierarchy, I surrounded myself with all levels. So mm-hmm. there were staff nurses that you just needed to recognize and inspire to the next level. And through their, their clinical excellence, what they were able to accomplish with patients, um, because I mostly worked in tertiary care centers mm-hmm. where we saw the worst of the worst cases. And we really had to be on our game. Um, and also the leaders that I led were middle management um, when I did become a VP level. And then um, I had all levels as a chief nursing officer that, you know, almost everything reports up to the chief nurse in a hospital, mm-hmm. all the nursing practice and, you know, making the vision and um, really working on quality. So I do think it's important in these nursing leadership positions and even in any type of industry that you surround yourself at all levels, because what I always learned is that those in the um, the frontline staff are the ones that can really make or break you as a leader. Mm-hmm. But you want to be there to inspire them because we're all about um, succession planning and doing those kind of things to well, help also, organizations. Sorry to interrupt you. I, it seems to me, too, that by surrounding yourself with people of all levels, you were also learning to step into their shoes so you knew what their challenges were. And those that keep themselves separate from that you know, only aiming at the top, but not understanding the levels beneath them may not understand the real needs. And so when you talk with others, some really good ideas can come up from the bottom, the middle and the top. Would you agree with that? 
Yes. And that really, when you when you talk about high-performing organizations and quality of care, um, at one point in my career, when I was a staff nurse, I was known as a, a clinical expert. But as I went up the chain of leadership, I then became an expert in administration. And so I was no longer the best nurse at the bedside because I wasn't doing that every day, 24-7. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what it really is about is inspiring those all around us to be the best they can be for our patients and the organization and quality. And that's really what, what it takes. It does take that. And, and what do you think are some of the qualities that you used internally to bring out the best in people rather than the stress? Um, it was, um, I did have a sense of humor, even regardless of what was happening on the day to day. So always laugh. Okay. Um, laugh at yourself and then laugh at some of the things. Mm-hmm. Um, but the rest of it was really trying to engage and be um, known as the voice of nursing. Mm-hmm. And so what my, um, what my acts were is that I rounded frequently on the nursing units. I got to know, this was even night shift. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to know the staff. Um, I came in, in in scrubs, even though I was a chief nursing officer, and you know we're called the suits. Um, and I worked in the critical care, and I helped um, I helped the the nurses, you know, turn very difficult patients at night that were on ventilators and mm-hmm. a lot of gadgets around them. Okay, um, but I also talked to the staff, and and the biggest thing was I got the staff engaged into what their outcomes should be on their unit. Because at the end of the day, you know, when we talk about the iatrogenic effects, the hospital-induced infections, mortality, Mm -hmm. and things that shouldn't happen in a hospital, Mm -hmm. the staff is the expert on how to succeed in that and to not have those types of deleterious effects happen to their patients. And so that was the whole process of facilitation through quality, um, learning evidence-based practice in nursing, which is really about... um, looking at the literature to see what the best practices are that actually work to evoke positive outcomes. Mm-hmm. And then having staff make the changes and make the decisions through teams and governance of nursing at the bedside. So teamwork was very, very important. And engaging them in a way that they would engage with others was important. So competitiveness can get in the way. Did you find that there was in some cases, some competitiveness that you had to mold a little differently? Or did you find that people were pretty good at adjusting to whatever the culture was in the team that you were working with? Well, I always like to think that uh, healthy competitiveness is, all, is always good. And mm-hmm. the one thing that I did do with with the multiple units that were under my leadership and supervision was that we would have quality awards. And we would recognize the units that had no urinary tract infections for a month, mm-hmm. for a quarter, for the year. Um, and this was um, and this was done with the entire hospital, with top leadership, the CEO, the CMO, the chief um, financial officer, mm-hmm. so that those nurses um, were definitely recognized for the work they did. Um, the healthy competitiveness came from a unit that just might not have gotten that metric right or made those outcome changes. And then it was that unit going to the teams of the units that were successful saying, what have you done? Okay. So that really helped that. Now, occasionally there can be, there can be competitiveness. Um, what you don't want to do is that you don't want to make those units that might not have been able to um, make the results happen as fast. 
Um, right. And you want to be there to encourage. And then that's the learning process. So what can we learn from the others that were successful? I really did not value um, penalizing those units or making those units feel less than. I think that's really important because not everything is successful. And sometimes you learn more by mistakes than you do by total success. Now, mistakes in a hospital environment can be very bad. I'm not talking about those kinds of mistakes, but I am talking about things that maybe could have been done a little bit differently. What is your philosophy on how you deal with those challenges when they arise and the circumstances to avoid having people be afraid to respond? Sure. Well, in, in healthcare, what I had was it was total transparency. Mm. And so when I really knew a culture was changing is when I did walk onto a unit that ended up having a urinary tract infection that was noted, um, you know, th that day. And when I first walked on the unit, being a new chief nursing officer, they kind of hid in their rooms and not really wanted <laughs> to talk to me. And then as we started this process of change and change transformation and owning our practice, Right. Um, it literally changed that when I walked on the unit, we would have nurses come up to me and say, I am so sorry. We had a urinary tract infection the other night. What can we do? And what can, could we do? Well, we, we drilled down. We took mm -hmm. names and faces out of it and we just went back over the care. Mm -hmm. um, what did we miss? was, um, you know, doing the Foley catheter care. I know I'm being technical here, but was, were we using no, no. the right protocols and, you right. know, procedures? Um, if we didn't, what was the learning? And then with what we found is that, and why, and why, and why, and the deep dive down, then all we did was make those changes so that that next patient would not have that happen. So it really was more of a learning and nurturing and inspiring culture than it was um, a negative saying, well, why did this happen? And I'm going to write you up, the nurse that ended up having a urinary tract infection, because it takes a village. It does take a village. When you're taking a look at the learning experiences that you're giving and gaining at the same time, do you feel that it is sequential, that each little win adds up to build a stronger team and one that has uh, tighter bonds? And what happens when the team changes? How do you inculcate the new culture into a new team member? Sure. Well, the... the um the real um, tough challenge here in healthcare is that we know, and it's all over um, mm -hmm. the news, that there is a lot of turnover in nursing, nursing leadership positions all through, whether it's middle management or even um, as high as the chief nursing officer, which a study that I saw was about 62% of the chief nursing office turnover. It's huge. And that is large because in that it does evoke disruption throughout mm -hmm. all layers of nursing, as we talked about um, the, the the excellent nurses at the bedside, the middle management, um, and then you know other other leaders. And quality of care is very much impacted. Culture is impacted, and um, trust is impacted. Okay, mm -hmm. because every time someone new comes in, everyone's in the waiting lines, going, "Okay, now what? Now what's mm -hmm. the direction?" Mm -hmm. Um, so, so with that, um, really what we, we do the best is, is that we, we do mentorships and we do orientations and we have nurses and always are nurses that are wanting to share their knowledge, the expert nurses that want to share their knowledge and share their expertise at the bedside, as well as, um, 
as staff that um, that that really want to make sure that every patient every time is cared for in the best way. Mm-hmm. And so the continuous learning and continuous learning in um, testing and measuring really helps to assist this and keep that culture going. Did you find that there was great energy when they actually saw that there were metrics that would show them what their good habits and good processes would show uh, versus lack of knowledge about that? Because I think people are often at first fearful when they hear they'll be measured or evaluated. But then when you see the results and it, it actually shows areas of improvement or areas that have perhaps need some improvement, was there an eagerness now to, to learn more because it was a positive experience because of the culture you had created? Yes. And, and how we did this, we had, um, we had morning, we had change of shift huddles mm-hmm. and this was every change of shift. And we had actually what we called the brag board. Mm-hmm. And all of our metrics um, that we had defined for the year, patient experience, um, nurse engagement, which was, you know, nurse satisfaction, patient experience was our press gainy. Mm-hmm. Number of urinary tract infections, number of um, blood co- bloodline infections, mm-hmm. um, and then other determined factors that were specific to that patient population. We had a board that we stood at, and after our report, we had a, and we did. Here's our wins. Here's our successes. Um, we even had some um, budgetary data um, mm-hmm. that knew what our average daily census was, whether we were on mark, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at that same time, we also recognized the new employees. We recognized something that we wanted to share that day. This continuously created that culture of knowing what the expectation was, but also it, we were all in this together and we were mm-hmm. there to um, discuss, to share our wins. And then if there was something that was lacking, hey, what are we going to do about this? Mm-hmm. Okay. But it really was not until we had our team at all levels, understanding how they were measured, what it looked like and what it meant. Did Mm -hmm. we get, I hate to use the word buy-in, but did we get that culture change? That makes sense. And culture doesn't change overnight. Correct. And we say it takes at least five years Mm -hmm. um, just to start (laughs) having Mm -hmm. a culture change to a a different level. Mm -hmm. And back to leadership turnover, um, if you have those leaders that are turning over with less than five years, whether they're asked to leave mm. or they have decided to leave on their own, um, it once again, I, as I said, it's extremely disruptive for the sustainability of a high um, high functioning organization. But it makes perfect sense, and we all know that during the pandemic and continuing on, there is a ton of changeover. Um, there's also the temporary things when people were out for a short period of time and came back. There's also this little thing called burnout when there is such high stress levels, et cetera. And and I'm sure that this is where people are taking a look at, okay, is this what I want to do the rest of my life? Do I want to make a career change? What do I need to look at? Is that correct? Um, Yes. And a a study that I had recently read about, particularly with the chief nursing officer role, is that... um, job satisfaction was definitely correlated to resilience. Mm-hmm. And, um, you, you know, the, the notes after the study was, um, well, we need to teach individuals resilience. Um, I think that's that's a good 
um, thought process, but how does one teach someone resilience? Some, you know, sometimes we, 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 we're in our world and we have our personality makeups. And, um, but to really aspire to leading this type of change and the dynamics of the healthcare system and the overcrowding of our hospitals right now, mm-hmm. resilience has got to have to be something that we're seeking and looking at probably in, in a leader position, probably even more than are they able to pump out the greatest budget in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, because that's really going to set the tone and how you show up in your resilience and your personality during stress is really the message that you are sending to your entire team. And they are watching, they're watching you in every direction. They're watching how you're going to handle this. You're absolutely right. And the good news is though, resilience can be bolstered. It isn't just a trait you're born with. You can bolster it, enhance it, strengthen it. And it, but it is not easy to do at the same time that you're changing culture, that you're managing some very serious uh, circumstances and enormous turnover and adaptability. I would say we've reached a period in the healthcare industry, too, of huge uncertainty for just from week to week, let alone, you know, in a longer time frame. Would you agree with that? Yes. And as you do that, were there any changes that you were thinking would make a big difference along the way? Or would you just simply continue what you're doing, but start to build in more refinements? Well, so we talked a lot about reaching our organizational metrics, our patient care metrics. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there, I, I'm, I'm from, from the school of Donna Beating. It's all about structure, process, outcome. Mm-hmm. And um, we have to have the right people, the right competencies. We have to have the right um, education structures. We have to have the right leaders in the right positions, of course. That's our structure. Mm-hmm. And then the process is, um, how are we going to make that goal on the other side of this? And we have to ensure that in our processes that every person at least every time is doing that process the way it was defined. And then we measure, did that process evoke the outcome that we were hoping for? Mm-hmm. All right. And that's where, you know, when we talk about system failure, um, a lot of times we, we view the things that go wrong um, in healthcare as a people person. Sometimes it might be about a person, but usually it's a, a definite system issue mm-hmm. where the processes hadn't been adapted. We did not lay out the foundation. We did not um, have the right structures and therefore we cannot get to the outcome we want. Now, when that happens, you, do you change what your performance indicators are? Do you change the methodology of communication because I'm a huge believer in setting expectations. Good communication is everything and clarity in what you're looking for is important. Right. And that's a very good question. And what we do is we really change the process Mm -hmm. and we change, you know, it's sometimes it is a communication. Um, For example, one of my units looking back at the, at the outcome of urinary tract infections when we set out and um, taught everyone the proper way to make um, patients safe and the right cleaning of a Foley catheter post-operatively mm-hmm. when a patient comes out from surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, we then had nurses, and this actually came from the nursing staff, where we had um, nurses at the bedside that actually observed and signed off staff on a frequent basis that they were in compliance. So it's that inter reliability that we call it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so this 
keeps on um, processing for those individuals that may not have learned that skill or forgot the process or, you know, whatever that was, that, you know, we, we had only a few iterator reliability monitors because they were the ones that were the experts in this. And then they were given real-time feedback mm-hmm. on what they saw. And then um, we monitored that way. So there's a lot of ways to get this high reliability that we can continuously talk about. Well, and there really is a process that must be followed because if the, yes. fo- if the process is not followed, uh, UTIs can be deadly and it is, it is a very good indicator for people that, you know, urinary tract infections are some of the most common that come to a hospital, but especially postoperatively, et cetera, and can, and can come on like wildfire. And so catching these things is very important. And I'm sure those who were being evaluated were actually grateful for that because it gave them the opportunity to know that they were doing things right or if they were cutting corners, which obviously was not something that they wanted to be doing. As we go forward, we're going on a a quick break, but as we go forward, um, I would like to take this and shift this into what you would do as you move forward in your career and want to go into more of the teaching role. So we're going on a quick break. Don't go away. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. Close your eyes and imagine living your life without limits. Where would you go? Who would you meet? What would you do? During an Uncover Your Hidden Genius session, you will discover what's keeping you from living your life with purpose, passion, and fulfillment of your potential. You'll get a clear vision of the steps you need to take to uncover your hidden genius so that you can live a life without limits. Sessions can be done over the phone, Skype, or in person. Find out more at www.JoyceBufordEmpowers.com or by calling 903-287-0747. Congratulations on getting your book published. The effort you put into your work is truly commendable. But what's next? What will happen to all the knowledge you have worked so hard to acquire to produce your book? Here at Toginet Radio, we can provide you a platform to keep your knowledge working for you through the power of podcast. The subjects our podcast cover are as varied as the grains of sand on a beach. From life coaching, to military resources, to business success, even to the paranormal. We have a place for everyone. To get started on your next step, call Scott at 903-787-5880 or email him at scott at toginetradio.com that's s-c-o-t-t at t-o-g-i-n-e-t r-a-d-i-o dot com Welcome back. We're continuing our conversation with Michelle DiStefano. And as we go into the second portion, I think we're all very aware that there have been many, many shifts within the nursing and healthcare industry at this point. And at certain periods of time in the last couple of years, there have been reductions in force. There have been people who have reached a point in their career where they just want a strategic change. 
um, succession planning we mentioned some people just are are burned out and want to go into something else and so sometimes you reach a point in a career where you you want a change and as you go to look what to do next we're going to talk in this second half of the program about what you can do who you can contact what you can look at and and let's start with all right you've got a reduction in force you've been let go you're a very high level nursing professional and you're lost i mean there are some people who walked away from their jobs due to circumstances there are others who were not allowed to stay in their jobs where do you start what do you look at first do you take a look at your skills and your strengths do you even look at something you may not have looked at for a very long time which is what do i love what do i do well what do i want to do with the rest of my career um sure so um you know i i like to think about there's there's voluntary um resignations and then there's involuntary and so i think what mm -hmm. we're we're getting at right now is this involuntary whether it's it's both um, but yes yeah. predominantly and predominantly and so the, the first part is this when anything that's that happens so abruptly that you don't have time to plan or think because a lot of times reduction forces you you might know it's coming but you don't think it's you um or if if you True. are hearing that you're going in a different direction we're going in a different direction and, and even though you've done great things for an organization you know, the first thing is that you really got to mourn. And um, my True. clients have come to me. You you have to let yourself um, be in a state that there's this disruptive thing happened. And even though it happens all around us, when it happens to you, it has a different impact. I mean, even though we all believe we're empathetic individuals, but when it's actually happening to you, those emotions uh, run amok. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, you know, before um, I work with a client on this type of thing, I really make sure that they are able to tell your story and tell it in a way and positive way and then get over yourself. So <laughs> the first thing I do is work with you on your story because right. if you have, you know, a lot of individuals have to work. And so even though some may get severance packages, some of the severance packages, depending on how long you've been with an organization or the, the level of the position, mm -hmm. they're not going to be two months worth of salary. All right. And so if you have to go back out in the workforce and start the interview process, really, really focus on get that emotion intact, but practice that story that it is twisted in a positive light that you still show and exuberate confidence mm -hmm. because bad things happen to good people. Absolutely. All right. And that, I think, it starts with that resilience. Um, you know, what what are you made of? Um, if you're not able to do that, definitely. Um, I recommend seeking some other type of assistance and guidance, whether it's therapy or um, whatever it is, but really try to get yourself ready for that next um, position or adventure in life. But you have to be able to embrace it mentally and emotionally before so it you're can make saying it take some time, mourn or grieve, grieve the loss, which it absolutely is. It's often an right. identity for many people. And then when you're ready, and, or even if you're maybe not ready, after you have taken a look at what you need to do, then go in with a clear mind and a clear direction. Did I phrase that properly? Yes. Yes. Makes sense. So taking a look, uh, let's let's just 
play a hypothetical. Someone is at a, a pretty high level in their nursing careers. There has been an involuntary separation and they need to step back in. So you're saying align your story with the way that it it gives you the opportunity to share the skills, the wisdom, and the processes and, and skills that you have already shown and will now shine them in a different light. Yes? Agree. And I think this is also a time that um, you reflect on um, what you were able to accomplish. Um, don't be so hard on yourself. Mm -hmm. So if you if you write the things, um, there's always learning with any type of separation. What could you have done differently? But a lot of times this isn't about you. It's usually a business decision. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard not to take it personally. And I don't always like that. Please don't take this personally uh, because it is personal. <laughs> it's affecting you. I mean, I think that's right. Funny. A funny statement is don't take this personally um, because of it is personal. personal. But um, step back. Once you've done this grieving in, in mourning and, and try to get yourself um, back into a frame of mind, um, one of the big things is to start writing down all the things that you accomplished, whether it was at that past, um, past role that you were just let go, what you've done throughout your career, and remember those positive things so that you are able, when you do go into an interview process or there, there's a screening of some sort, that you're able to clearly articulate what you stood for and what you've done in the types of roles, whatever it was of how you, you know, managed to work yourself up through the, um, the, the, the corporate culture, um, all of your initiatives that were successful, and then allow some time for maybe some reflection when you are asked, what, what are some of the things that you could have done better? Mm -hmm. um, but it really does have to be done in a very positive light and with confidence. Especially that last question, because that last question will be asked. And people used to gloss over those questions 20, 30 years ago. These days, I don't believe that those are gloss over questions any longer. They really are substantive. They want to see how you respond during challenging times, what happened when this happened, and how you responded. Would you agree that, once again, you're talking about resilience and a positive spin on things and staying in a vein that is optimistic and knowing you can add value to the next organization? Yes. And you know this this that this whole um, business of how you how you show up and how you present your story and your case. Um, the other thing is this is where a lot of times um, we do need some outside influence, mm -hmm. and that's where I do believe coaching has been very valuable. So you want an outside um, you want someone outside of your friends and your family. Yes, because it gives a different role. And right. by being on the outside, it becomes more objective and it, it goes back to what you just said. It's not personal. It becomes much more of a professional evaluation and having someone who's in your corner to help bolster you in your next step. Agree. So as you go forward and you're looking at this, you are a coach yourself. So especially in the healthcare industry, as you look at what coaching brings, first of all, let's talk about what coaching is and what coaching isn't. Sure. So um, what coaching is, um, it really is the ability of an influencer, which would be the coach, that 
unlocks a person's potential by focusing on the here and now. Uh-huh. And the here and now is, yes, all these things happen, but you're here today. What What is the topic for discussion? What is the outcome from this discussion, whether it's a 30-minute session or an hour session? You know, what are our options? And then how are we going to move forward? All right. And that is how I um, present my model of coaching to all of my um, clients on a one-to-one. Um, it helps you establish realistic goals and through open-ended questions that really evoke curiosity to maximize your client's individual performance. So I can give you an example of what this really means. When I sought coaching, I had always had coaches. When I sought coaching, when I had um, had a disruptive disruption in my my career. Um, you know, I had to really figure out what it was that was driving me back into wanting to do the same thing again, like, you know, become another chief nursing officer. Okay. And by a series of questions, okay, um, what my coach brought out of me is that I was more enamored with the title than what the role actually was. Hmm. And so there was, so, you know, even though maybe unconsciously I felt this, um, he brought it into my conscious awareness. Okay. And when you really think about leadership, what I'm doing in my, um, new branding career of consultant, business consultant, and, um, also career influencer and coach Mm -hmm. is that I'm working with multiple individuals from multiple areas and multiple geographic areas and states. And, What I've loved about being in nursing leadership positions was the ability to facilitate and to assist teams or individuals in reaching their full potential. Mm -hmm. All right. That was my passion. It wasn't necessarily, um, you know, having to sometimes make that tough decision of firing individuals, um, making budgets that might not have been realistic for that type of acuity and patient care that was needed on my units, but I had to come in, you know, bottom line equal, right? Zero-based right. budgeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was what coaching did for me, was brought that unconscious thought process into the conscious so that I was able to grasp at something different for me. Did this give you confidence? Um, I had a lot of confidence. I, I went in, I did allow myself to mourn. Um, I believed I went in a little bit wounded. <laughs> As I am type A perfectionist. <laughs> um, and, you know, at one point I got teary-eyed and um, my coach said to me, what are the tears for? You know, you, you mm-hmm. th- th- look at what, look at what you have in front of you. Okay. It's the world in front of you right now. Girlfriend, get over yourself. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask you. Isn't it also that these times of transition can open new opportunities that you hadn't considered or that you were just straight on a path that you didn't even look up. So is it possible that these are new opportunities that are even brighter and more interesting than where the trajectory you were on? Yes. So I was really, really um, navigating to that of consultant and to working across multiple organizations. So I became a consultant building cardiovascular um, programs across the United States. Uh And it was a startup within um, a big um, device company. And, you know, I had to learn different skill sets, believe it or not, it was, um, it was skill sets of, um, death by PowerPoint, 
Um, conveying your message. And it, it seems funny. I mean, I had facilitation skills. I had change agent skills. I had um, influence skills. I had um, uh, getting teams together, even if they didn't want to be in the same room together and having them walk away being friends. Okay. I had that skill set, but there were other skill sets that I had, I had to learn and adapt. And, but I, I followed my, my preferred skills and my passion and my drive. And I overcame the skills that I, I needed to brush up on or really had to um, learn differently, you know, to make a difference in front of clients and, and large, large organizations to show that I added value. But it makes perfect sense. I mean, if you, if you, <laughs> my mother used to say, that's why they call it work when you have aspects to a job that you don't really like to do, but it's necessary to do. And so you try and find jobs that maximize the things you love to do and minimize, but do include the things that are the building blocks to get there. So you knew and you set your expectations to do both. Yes, that is correct. And, and I do believe that, um, you know, I have a lot of self-motivation, but um, holding a coach holds you accountable. So we did create action plans. The other thing is I came with my agenda for that, that session. Mm -hmm. um, and I had to um, present my homework um, and my assignment and what I was going to work on, whether I had to, you know, revise a job description um, that I wanted and sought out for, whether I was preparing for an interview process and what steps I was going to take to be successful at it. Um, so that's that's what coaching is. Also, it's that it is um, helping you develop your action plans for your next steps. It instills that motivation to act. And it holds you accountable. Does it also help you facilitate what you may not be able to articulate when you first begin, but allows you to uncover through the questions the coach asks some of the things that you perhaps hadn't even thought that you were skilled with? Yes, and so there's um, there's a variety there's a variety of um, things that. Um, I look at when I, I coach my clients into looking at um, your current skill set and then future skill sets that you would need. Mm -hmm. And so I can have clients that want to be, I can have clients that want to be, um, um, they want to be promoted. And um, you can do a lot of different assessments, such as the, the DISC assessment. You can do, um, it really talks about personalities and, and leadership. Mm -hmm. um, and then, there's also um, other types of um, skills where it's the, the, the pathfinders that really deep, deep dives into what that your skill set aligns with your strengths, your values, your preferred skills, and your wiring and passion and your interests and motivation. So I really work with clients on fully establishing what that is. Mm -hmm. Do people know? Are they self-aware enough to be able to answer these questions, or is this something that you're drawing out over a period of time? Um, I'm drawing this out of a period of time, and so um, I offer these assessment, you know, assessment skills um, because they they have been proven over time to actually have someone um, experience um, what their personality uh, type is and also their skill set. But the other thing is, is just simply writing down um, what you view your strengths are. Um, you can have 360 evaluations done on you at either your current um, employer or, or people that know you, um, know you very well and intimately. 
Um, and also this gives you that if you have any blind spots, like um, you might think you're a great communicator, but you do have a tendency to be passive aggressive in conflict. Um, so those are types of things that I really try to bring out in the clients so that we unlock that inner genius so that we can figure out what's the next path as they move forward in their next in their next adventure. Well, it makes sense. Do people come to you understanding that this is an exploratory process, that it really is you asking them a lot of questions as opposed to you telling them what you think they ought to do, which is much more the job of a mentor or a career advisor? Coaching right. is very different. Yes. So um, what my process is, I do a discovery call of anyone that shows interest um, in, in my services. And um, I, for, for the one-to-one -one coaching, the discovery call is asking questions on what their, what their current career is, what their goal and objective is for the call, and for also utilizing myself. And it's also time for that client to get to know me, my personality, and for me to assess, is this a client that we both mutually want to work with. Mm -hmm. So um, I recently had an inquiry and it was um, it was a woman that truly after I, I interviewed her and asked her thought provoking questions, she really wants to work from home. And her real need right now is to revamp her resume. Um, that's not something that um, I can assist with that, but I believe she's such of the basis right now that she doesn't really quite know what her goal and objective is but she, in the near and now, right now, um, prime time, she really needs to get her resume intact and having some specialist work with her on that, that type of skill. Then I'll be getting back to her say, okay, now that she's gone through the process and, and those kind of things and had a few interviews, what is that best company for her? So not everyone's a fit um, for this type of coaching. Um, I'm really looking for those that, um, that definitely have been in, in careers and have been professional that want to make some sort of change, um, whether it's mobility or it's totally rebranding themselves. It's also timing from what you're just describing with that one client. They had not done what was probably done many, many years before when they were first starting out and needing a resume, et cetera. And writing a resume and doing those basic foundational steps before you make a career change is something that people are out of practice on. Yes. And the environment has changed greatly. If you go to LinkedIn, you'll find a lot of recommendations. And there, there are people who specialize in helping people to take that first foundational step. You're really looking for someone who is past that basic step, foundational step, and ready to explore where they wish to apply their skills and their energies and, and their passions. Sure. And if we get back to what coaching is not, um, okay. you know, I'm in, I'm in kind of three different roles. So I'm a, I'm a business consultant um, for physicians and helping them build their, their practices and um, increasing their revenues. Mm -hmm. And the consultant, you know, I'm giving them the plan and, and they're following it for the most part. Um, I'm also a mentor for um, the American College of Healthcare Executives. Mm -hmm. And that's where um, sharing my experience, I was matched with, with an individual, sharing my experiences and, and what I did. It's just more of them getting to know me and what my experiences were so that I can drive that. And then as a coach, the coach is where, once again, I'm bringing out the answers that they've already had within mm -hmm. by asking the right questions um, and helping them think through 
um, why they answer in that way, and then also creating those action plans. You know, I did have um, one of my clients did say to me, um, I don't know what to do. Could you please tell me what to do? <laughs> and at that point, and, and she, you know, that, I, I think she was correct. She did not know what to do. And I did say, I'm coming out of the, the coaching role right now. Mm-hmm. And since you asked, and I fed back to her the conversations that we had. And I said, you know, I think this is where there's a blind spot that you might want to think through differently in order to be successful at, at your next, at your next move. All right. Um, so that is, um, that's really how, um, how we work this influencer. And I like to be called more of a career influencer than a career coach. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's what you are. And you're mm-hmm. also looking at people one-on-one so that in your coach role, so that you are taking a look at that particular person's strengths. What are they looking for? A lot of changes have taken place in the healthcare industry now, too, where you might be able to work through telehealth. You might not have to go into the clinical setting anymore. People may have changed their minds at certain phases of their careers to decide what it is that they are looking for at this stage. So I imagine it gives you more opportunity to guide people and ask them the questions that they are seeking to set their expectations properly because healthcare will never go away. It is, however, greatly changeable and very adaptable these days. Sure. And there's also new roles emerging in healthcare. It's not your usual trajectory of going from staff nurse to charge nurse, you know, to, mm-hmm. to nurse manager. Um, there's, um, there's a lot of different roles in quality um, that's very much needed. Um, and so once again, looking at that, that, that skill set, the passion, everything in alignment, um, and, and then creating what that vision looks like for you. Because the path is very interesting right now. It's very interesting. And I think one thing that is, is becoming more and more apparent is that we're, we're very interested in obviously having the healthcare professional be satisfied and fulfilled in what they do. But there's also a patient-facing uh, need right now. I've talked to many people who've been hospitalized, whether for illnesses, um, not so much the virus, but for surgeries and that sort of thing. And with the understaffing, the patient is not getting as much attention as they might have gotten in the past. Sometimes that's good because you're not, you know, awakened 15 times a night uh, for your temperature and blood pressure. But on the other hand, we still also have to keep in mind that this is one of the helping professions. And so the patient-facing work is important, I'm sure, as you're talking to these coaches or these uh, healthcare professionals about what it is they truly enjoy. Do they like the patient-facing side? Do they want to go more into administration and leadership, as you did? Do they want a hybrid? Correct. So it's opportunity time, yes? Yes. And then also... um, you know, the other the other thing I'm assessing, particularly those that want to go into nursing leadership positions, what's their level of innovation? Um, mm. And so, um, you know, that that's that creativity, the innovation. And, and for example, um, we you're never going to have enough staff. Um, the staff that you have, it's always looking good on paper. For example, you do a budget and you do a you do a, um, a schedule for that week and that month. And there's call outs, there's terminations, there's things like that. So whatever that schedule looked like when it went out in that clean paper copy or electronically, it changes within the next hour. Mm-hmm. And um, 
how how good is this person that the part of that's that resilience, but how good are you in articulating making those changes for patient care um, that does affect numbers of, of um, clinicians at the bedside? So for example, we did continuous monitoring on, on one of the, our busiest units. And it wasn't um, it was it was blood pressure and heart rate, and we actually um, did a lean project um, on you know, actually being able to get and failure to thrive, failure to rescue, the failure mm-hmm. to rescue where um, were our patients bounced back to the ICU because we were able to have continuous blood pressure and heart rate and respiratory monitoring, mm-hmm. um, which eventually um, partakes if you don't had if you didn't have this type of um, innovative equipment um, and new technology, you had a patient care assistant or a nurse having to go in sometimes every 15 minutes after surgery, mm-hmm. 15 on, now if you have a, 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 a patient load of five and everyone's post-op, um, that's a lot of taking blood pressures and vital signs. So really working with um, innovation, working with your ability to move, um, to move the needle in healthcare that makes sense, that you still have your challenges. We're, we're not going to grow nurses on trees. We're not going to grow patient care assistants. <laughs> but how can you take that skill set, take that passion, articulate it in a way that you might even be able to create a new role for yourself? Absolutely. As now, a you're a technology com- person. <laughs> absolutely. Your career coaching is called SOAR, which stands yeah. for Success, Opportunities, Action, and Results. How do listeners get in touch with you? What is your URL? Um, they get in touch with me on my website, mm-hmm. and it is um, www.soarcareercoaching.com. Okay. And um, my website has um, any kind of inquiry on there. Um, it talks about my one-to-one, tells my story in full, so anyone can read about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the one-to-one coaching and also masterminds that I facilitate as well. Um, which I try to have um, no more than eight participate in the masterminds. And um, it will ha- give you an opportunity to put your email and also um, uh, book a discovery call that goes straight to my calendar. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Michelle. It's soarcareercoaching.com. We are delighted to have you share your wisdom today in such an important healthcare industry. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in today. You can find more shows at wisehealthforwomenradio.com.